Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 18. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. This week, we're discussing chapter 6 of Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. This chapter is titled Self Empowered or Spirit Filled. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website untanglingchristianity.com slash 18. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. What were your impressions, Greg, and where would you like to take our discussion today? Oh, you know, this is a shorter chapter than last chapter by far, but there's there's so much uh, stuff to uh, chew on here. Um, I, I've got to say, this was one of my least favorite chapters so far, and that might be saying something. Um, I mean, why don't we start with, uh, so, you know, what this guy does is he gives you a chapter heading, and then he, he gives you a biblical chapter, typically, that he is going to rely upon or use in this chapter of his book to sort of make his points and, and reinforce why he's saying what he's saying. Um, I'm just totally lost. Like, I, I, I this kind of, like, I have nothing good to say about, he chose John 16. John 16 does indeed refer to the advocate, you know, who's the Holy Spirit. And John 14 and John 15, you know, prior to that, have been talking about the Holy Spirit coming. But I have no clue, no clue why, not only does John 16 not say what he's talking about on page 95, which I think was a big part of it. Um, what I'm referring to here is, he says in the middle of page 95, the only way to be filled with the Spirit is to empty myself of me. When I empty me of me, it provides space for the Holy Spirit to fill me. The more he fills me, the less room there is for me. Now, um... You also left out, when the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence, then you should increasingly find there isn't as much room for you. Oh, that's very good. Which I sum up as, basically, you have to become a zero. Well, yeah, wouldn't everybody want that? <laughs> Isn't that a great way to be? <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm not only a jackass, but I'm kind of a zero. <laughs> Uh, where, where'd you find that one? I'm still looking for that one. I have a friend that married. Uh... It's near the. It's like a couple sentences from the bottom of 95. I had boxed in the same section, but I think, yeah. in all seriousness, I think this is a very, very common um, notion that you have to completely. You have to be either fully full of God, but if you're half and half, you have God. That's that that you know. God and you can't mix because you're sinful and God is holy. So the perfect state to be in is completely emptied of yourself, which is fallen and messed up and everything else, and 100% full of God. Which which in some places I've heard this is, it, it basically, you don't matter. You're just kind of this empty shell that's full of God, which misses the whole notion of each person being uniquely created and the value that each person has themselves and any number of other things. Yeah. Well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, it doesn't do a lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Go figure. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. It is very prevalent. Uh, one of the last stints I had in a church, I was listening to this uh, Christian chorus. And, you know, Christian choruses are not too well known for uh, doing really uh, great things with exegesis. But nevertheless, you know, it's all about you, Jesus. And I just need to get more of you, Jesus. And Blah, blah, blah. And the, the problem that I have with this, you know, later in the page, again, I'm still on 95. I'm just a sentence actually below the sentence you referenced about when the Holy Spirit moves in and takes step residence. There's increasingly less room for me. But he said, and slowly you find that your pride, your, pa- your impatience, your selfishness, your lust are taken basically away. And I, I guess part of the problem I have is what is me? So the only way to be filled with the Spirit is to be empty myself of me. What do you mean? You know, and on the one hand, <clears throat> well, me me becomes anything that's not that's that's good. That's the only part that's left that's acceptable according to his setup, right? Yeah. See, we. Have I mean, sh- me is me is good. And me is is okay as long as it's good and righteous and doing good things and loving God and all that. But if it's full, if if me is sin, then you got to get rid of it. Yeah, but, you know, oftentimes it turns into this whole, as you said before, this whole self-effacing notion. You know, you're no good. You know, not only not only is all the stuff, the stuff that you, you do wrong, that's you. The stuff that you do right, that's God. And then, you know, all the other stuff, it seems to me, and, and, and what I'm getting at here is uh, personality, uh, character, not in terms of um, moral character, but in terms of, you know, uh, I don't know. Temperament temperament all of these other things you know can 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 humans can people have flaws in these areas that that you know we we would want to have better sure but it doesn't mean we throw everything out and so it's really difficult for me to understand for example as you said before uniquely created but especially god loves me why god loves me so god can kind of move in and take over god wants to use me what 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 about me does god actually like or love, you know. And when it comes to to this in particular, I find it's just it screams um, self-effacement and denial of self-worth, and it really puts the whole notion of God, not just sort of kind of loving me, but 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 deeply, madly desiring me, into huge question. And this is, but and the classic tie-in here is you have to deny yourself to follow Christ. Yeah, whereas I would say you realize yourself in following Christ. You become more and more who you should be. I mean, God's greatest gift to us, I think, is ourselves. We live as ourselves and become more and more ourselves. And and part of the argument in Christianity, as far as I see it, is that we increasingly become ourselves as we increasingly come into better relationship with God. You don't lose yourself. You gain yourself and more. So... I guess my original point was there is nothing in uh, John 16 or 15 or 14 that talks about this notion of you got to give up you to get the spirit. You know, so and it seems like a really, really easy thing to do. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but would it not be pretty easy at the end of this sentence? The only way to be filled with the spirit is to empty myself of me. Could we not change it to the only way to be filled with the spirit? is to agree to be letting go of the things that we do that break that relationship with God. I, I would even be happy to say sin. 
I, it's still not quite what I want to say, you know, because it's a little bit more complicated than that. And sin has a lot of notions. Um, as we, we had talked about offline, uh, you know, uh, about that other podcast we listened to. But I have no idea why we keep coming back to this. The, and the only text I can find that gives me any idea, which, you know, ironically, he doesn't cite. If you want to make a point from the Bible, why not cite it from the Bible? Wouldn't that be a neat idea? <laughs> I don't know. Just maybe that's crazy. <laughs> but if you flip over to Galatians, um, like 2.20, and just the beginning of it, you got to be pretty, you got to be really selective here if you're going to try to read this message into the Bible. 2.20, um, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's 2.20a. And anytime you're like somebody's quoting not even a verse, but a part of a verse, you really want to be a little bit suspicious. What's the rest of the verse say? What did the verse before that and the verse after that say? What did the chapter happen to be saying? And this chapter is all about Paul making an argument for, against the law. It's not about the law. So in 19, he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. And, and then he says, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In contrast to trying, trying to um, be righteous through the law, through maintaining the law, which is not all about works righteousness, but it is about having a mentality where the law is the preeminent um, means of, if you like, grace or being in relationship with God. He says, no, no, it's Christ. It's Christ. I don't want to, I want to be dead to the law and dead to that notion of, of me involved in the law and alive to Christ. Great. But that doesn't mean you lose your personality. You lose your sense of self. Um, that you as a person, your worth as a person has not changed. In either one of those positions, God still loves you. God loves the, the, the Jews and the Egyptians and whomever it was as much as God loves us. I don't see that changing. I don't see that information changing in terms of what the Bible is telling us. So it's for me, I'm, I'm terribly frustrated when I, when I read people saying stuff like this where it's like, you know, even the sloppiest writer could change the word me and put in even something like sin. I have to empty myself of sin. I have to be willing to let go of the things that I do that God doesn't want me to do. Fine, fair enough. That's cool. And really, that's what he's describing, right? Because if you look down on that page, he's talking, he goes down and he says, your pride, your impatience, your selfishness, your lust. Yes, those things can be very problematic. I live my life not well when those things are prominent. But... This notion of me not being me um, as opposed to yielding, I think what we need to do is instead of emptying who we are, we yield our desire to control exactly what, how, where, when things, things take place in terms of, you know, he's talking later on about doing everything on your own steam. Fine, fair enough. You know, sometimes my own steam is, you know, I've got it all in mind. I know the plan. I know the solution. I've got all the tools. I'm going to make it happen. And there are times when that mentality will get you into trouble. I mean, most of us have experienced that when it's like, man, I'm up against something far too big for me. Well, he would, he, he would tend to say, though, that that it's this very simple thing that, yeah, when we go off on our own, it doesn't turn out well. So that would equal, in his language, being filled with this, not filled with the Spirit. But that when we are filled by the Spirit, everything turns out much better, which I have problems with. Well, yeah. I mean, what what, is, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean you sort of get up in the morning and I'm filled with the Spirit, so I'm indecisive? I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of leaving that open for God. I don't really think so. You know, there are a lot of people who make decisions that are very uh, 
you know, entrepreneurial and they're very successful with it. And, you know, so we have to make that distinction, right? We're really talking about um, being in relationship with God and how do we have to be in relationship with God? Well, we have to take God into consideration. You know, you can't just, it's, it's like going to see the doctor. I got to know how and when the doctor is going to show up. I got to either go to his office or think he's going to come to my place. I can't just magically think I'm going to get an appointment. And I can't just magically go ahead and try and make my relationship with God, quote unquote, work on my own steam. Great. I agree with that. But really, he's giving a very mixed message in here. And his, his message is there's something deeply wrong with you, not just what you do, but who you are. And I, I, I strongly resist that. Hmm. My hunch is he would pull that from the whole coming from a place that that as humans were fallen and um ah at least you knew my second point John okay <laughs> such a good leading okay. okay let's hear it flip back a couple of pages and I love this because I had I had well, I didn't love it but it was like man there are two things I seriously seriously disagree with okay so the top third there's a paragraph kind of kind of a little above in the middle of the page eight, page 88 it begins fans who follow jesus without the power without this power meaning the power of the holy spirit will start to show signs sooner or later they'll reach a point where they're frustrated by failures and at the end of that paragraph when they try to follow jesus without being filled daily with the spirit when we try to follow jesus without being filled daily by the spirit we find ourselves frustrated by our failures and exhausted by our efforts and <clears throat> this is a what I hear him saying is, and the question I wrote down was, and so followers, in his terms, don't fail exactly. because of the Spirit? Yeah. And I said, this is the same rhetoric I hear over and over again, where Christians over-prioritize the power and the guidance of the Spirit and under-prioritize the effects of sin. Hello, God loves everybody. You, you're Christians, them, they're not Christians. God loves you the same. Hello, everybody. You know, Jesus has come to uh, reestablish, to inaugurate the kingdom of God and to bring all of everything, to claim everything as God's. And part of that is writing, it's about writing relationships, making things in right relationship with each other and particularly with God. But that doesn't mean that sin is all gone. All gone, we don't have to worry about that. You know, we're, we're, we're Christians, we don't have to worry about that. We're the power of the Spirit. We read the Bible the way we read it because we're in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes, and sometimes you read it because you're sinful and you're thinking you, you've got this uh, arrogant notion that you don't need to go and read commentaries, that, you, that the, the original Greek doesn't matter at all, that somebody over there who is Christian couldn't possibly have anything to tell you about the way you're reading the Bible and understanding it or living your Christian life. And, and this, this, to me, is so extraordinarily arrogant on the flip side. Sure, you know, if we don't, if we're not in right relationship with God, we're going to have problems. But the reality is we're going to have problems anyways. Well, and you know what, this this just struck me. That sentence and that whole notion essentially drove me to Labrie, where we met. Which one? The, Which the one? whole notion of you follow Jesus, when you follow Jesus without being filled daily, we'll find ourselves frustrated by our failures and exhausted by our efforts. The flip side of which is, yes, if you do fill yourself with the Spirit, your life works much better. And mm-hmm. hearing that my entire life and, I don't know, becoming a Christian maybe at the age of four or five, I don't even remember. I was just really little and, um, you know, I'd 
I said the prayer and and believed and yeah. But here I am in a professional career working with people that are clearly would not call themselves Christians and had no interest in it. And as far as I could tell, their lives were working a lot better than mine was. Yeah. I prayed. I was trying to read my Bible. I went to church every week. I, you know, you could say I was following the rules. But this is a thing I'm still searching for. Like, where is the real life? Where is um, maybe the relationship? But but yes, this mm-hmm. whole notion really pushed me over the edge because I, I came to a point where I just said, this isn't true. This is not yeah. true at least in my experience, that yeah. you have God, you have a you have a better grip on the world, and your life works better, and you're more whatever. Now maybe I just didn't have the right God or the right relationship with God, and then I would have <laughs> had that. I don't know, but it was this. This pretty much drove me over the top to just say, "Well, something's not working here," because yeah. I've 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 tried to hope and think that this would work for I don't know. 27, 28 years, 29 years. I, I can't remember how old I was. But it's like, okay, this I, I can't do this anymore. I got to go find some answers. So, and I'm still looking for answers, as you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's such a, and you saw how the, like the one leads into the other. It's such a double whammy. You know, you're no good. And um, but but hey, you know, if you if you if you go down this path and you get the spirit and you're with God, then, then things are going to work out for you and it's going to be cool and. Um, you know, versus all those other people that things aren't working out for, or, you know, people who are marginally Christian, and, and it's, you know, maybe he would say you were a fan all along. But that's an awfully, like, that. that's a sort of... Um, but, the, but the evaluation judgment of those people would be, you know what, if they were in God, their lives wouldn't be that bad. Things would be better, and they would be coping better. Yeah. And, and, they, and, and, and that's his thing on the next page on 89, is fans mm-hmm. trying to follow, fans trying to follow... Fans trying to follow without being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit become overwhelmed by life circumstances. Really. So I get overwhelmed every day because I don't have the Holy Spirit. Or maybe I have the Holy Spirit and I don't know it. I don't know. They seem to be following Christ, but then something in life goes wrong and they don't have the power to overcome it. Instead of following Christ and sticking close to him in the storm, they become discouraged and keep their distance. So I wrote, so you have the Spirit, life goes well, and you have more resilience. If if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have resilience. And yeah, I could point to a bazillion people in the world, successful entrepreneurs, business people, um, complete atheists, agnostics that have more resilience than me. And supposedly I know God or I'm trying to know God. So now what? Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem with some of these simplistic answers. And I guess it's not just simplistic, but for me, there's an entire orientation in here that's wrong. You know, and I, I was going to say I hate to, but no. I'm going to go back to page 21. 21, I think, if you start, like, he's got an orientation, right? It's like aiming in a certain direction. And if you want to be straight ahead of you and you aim off to the left, you're not going to get straight ahead of you. You're just not. Now, I'm sure that he thinks that page 21 is just fine. 21, uh, for, 21 for those uh, tuning in late is that the whole reason that we've been placed on this earth is to answer the question of where we want to spend eternity. Exactly. Yeah. Page 21 has become completely thematic. It is, you know, he said it's the number one thing. I'll just quote it again. It's, it's, it's worth it. What if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and where I spend eternity comes down to this one question. 
and later on the same page, I believe that the reason we are put on this earth is to answer this one question. That is the one sort of the main thing I think that's driving um, the book. It's his um, primary focus. His primary aim is to getting you to answer that question right. Because you don't want to screw it up and end up in the wrong place. Yeah, you don't want to screw it up and end up in the wrong place. And once you've answered it correctly, what does that mean? And the book is about that. Uh What it means is to be a follower, right? Once you get that question right, once you've got that question in your mind and you can see things rightly, right? You've got the choice in front of you correctly. You choose the right choice, which is heaven. What does it mean? And it has all these consequences. It has, yeah, yeah. You know, funny. It, it it seems to have a lot of consequences and no real benefits other than heaven itself. And that I've got to say, hey, I, I had I had two big things to shoot at in chapter six. Now I have a third. That is absolute crap. I mean, that that is just that is an abysmal lie. Um, the notion that being a Christian holds nothing for you outside of heaven. That is a dangerous idea, and I think it's a complete lie. Um, you know, Jesus talks in the Gospel of John, in John's Gospel, about coming to bring abundant life. And in my books, if, if we don't see that in our lives, we don't see that substantially in other people's lives, and I'm saying the part about other people because it's not, you know, I don't have to see and experience everything. Testimony is a valid form of knowledge. Right. You, John, could tell me stuff that's happened in your life with God. It didn't happen in my life. But because of because I know you, because I know things about you, you tell me the story and it has an impact. It's not quite the same as it happened happening to me, but it's not like just I don't know, somebody said something that or some rumor or something I heard on a TV show that clearly wasn't claiming to be truthful or accurate or factual. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. a value there. So it's not about it's not all about me. But it's certainly, I'm not removed from the picture. And what happens to me in this life, in terms of the Christianity, matters. So your whole point there of, you know, having God and life works out better, some sort of better. What, what is that better? Um, exactly. There's got to be some, God has to, in some ways, show up. I think for everybody, God has to show up in some ways, somehow. And what that way is, how that is, to what degree that is, I think varies greatly. And, and maybe it's, you know, um, I was talking with a guy last Saturday, a friend, and uh, we were talking about something different. He took him out for breakfast, and he began telling me about these uh, people he was meeting who were telling him stories. And I actually told him my story about, uh, you know, how I became a Christian, which I, I don't, I, I've, I haven't told it to many people. And uh, after, it was after that that he, he told me all about these other encounters he had in the past week with these other people who are telling him this kind of weird, freaky stuff. And I said, man, it sounds like, Bruce, you've got a, a lot of people who are giving you a lot of input about stuff, you know, and I'm, you're not soliciting this. It's just sort of coming up. It's not really on-topic stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's a – he doesn't have any of that personally, but, but all of that was, was impacting him in a way that was making him think, again – about how he viewed God, and particularly because these were experiences of God loving people, how he understood himself in light of the notion that God loves him. So what? So here's a here's an interesting thing that pops in my head. Well, it's interesting to me. How would we rewrite this chapter? In other words, I think we can pretty much agree that there's nothing good about this chapter that I can see. That 
the the verse the the scripture passage doesn't line up. That's happened before to us. The concepts and the reasons and the everything about the Holy Spirit and why you need him and all that. It doesn't sound like we agree with any of that. Um, some, yeah, I guess I'd have two questions. One, how would you rewrite this chapter? And two, what is what what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And it's really an it's really a, an honest question. I don't know. I don't know. So, Mike, I'm I'm curious. How would you rewrite? How would you rewrite the chapter? Maybe it's the same question. How would you rewrite the chapter? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we we pretty much established that there's no good takeaways from this chapter. So, maybe we can add some of our own. Well, I I would probably have to answer question two before I can answer question one. You know, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Um, one other interesting thing to me, which uh, I'm not trying to get away from your question, but. Um, <laughs> One of the things that he says uh, on page 93, he says, being filled with the power of the Spirit me- begins with an honest acknowledgement of our weakness. And um, and then later on... Uh, well, yes, because that's when we are weak, then he is strong. Yeah, and then page 797, he says near the bottom, the second last paragraph, the Spirit supernaturally gives us the strength and power we need. So it's about strength and power and... and I guess what I would say is the role of the Holy Spirit, um, it, you know, um, the presence of God with us in a way that allows us to, I think, more than anything else uh, for me, and maybe this just talks about a lot about where I'm at, the Holy Spirit is about resilience. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is, um, I think the Holy Spirit reminds me. I'm reminded. It's brought back to mind. I think the Holy Spirit keeps the keeps my understanding and my experience of God's love uh, really, really fresh for me. So that sometimes it's it's very overpowering for me. I mean, you probably notice sometimes during these podcasts, I talk more slowly and I'm a little choked up. And I've just had to live with that. You know, I don't think that's sort of excess sentimentality. I think that there's something else going on there where this powerful, life changing. Um, set of circumstances and events is, although it took place, you know, most of these events, a major portion of them took place many years ago. They're still very fresh. So I think the Holy Spirit does things like that. It's like, it's like the, the Holy Spirit is there to kind of foster, um, cultivate, and renew our relationship with ourselves, with the world, with our fellows, and with God. Right? So that's what's going on. You know, my, my definition of sin are things that break that relationship. The Holy Spirit is there to mend, foster, cultivate, remind us about that relationship. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I just think all of the so you know, one of the cool things that, that he totally tell me, did I did I did I did I get this wrong? Or did he totally skip over this? But in John, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's constantly referring to it as the spirit of truth. John 15, 26, the advocate, when the advocate comes, who I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. And again in John 16, you know, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, and he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And this notion that, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is on the one hand, deeply related with truth, and, the, you know, I'm going to come back to... This is part of why 
I'm really focused on this twin notion, this, the co-centrality of love and truth. You know, here we see the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And God is, God is love. And these two things working together, I think what I experience when I experience um, what I would call the Holy Spirit is, you know, things are going wrong in my life. I'm, I'm screwing up a variety of things, whether they're the simple things like, hey, man, you're going to bed late. You're not eating well. You're not exercising. Like you're, you're, you're doing three things there that are, you got to do right to be in a right mind frame. And then you're in a wrong mind frame. And then you're um, relating with people wrongly. You're um, making bad choices with your time management. And those are throwing you off kilter. Um, you're interacting poorly with your spouse or with your kids or with people that really matter to you. And I think one of the things that I would say about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit enables or makes possible resilience in those moments. Resilience of saying, hey, no, it's not you're, not, you're not stuck. You're not bound to this way of being. This is not fate. This is not who you are. You know, which is really ironic. You see, this is, this is why I'm, I'm cutting back so hard against, against his notion of, you know, I've got to empty myself of me to make room for the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is trying to get me to be me. The me God wants me to be. The me God says I can be. The me that when God looks at me and says, I love you. The me that God sees when God says that. That's, what, that's what's supposed to be happening. I don't want to be less of me. I want to be more of me. And it's the same thing as when... I was going to use a very bad word. <laughs> Thanks for not using it. <laughs> <laughs> then we have to cut that out. It's the same thing as when the author, and I use that in place of the bad word I was going to use, said about, what was this? We were back in like chapter four. Give me this. Oh, man, this was so, I wrote very bad words beside this. When he's talking about Luke 14, 25 to 26, basically, I'll read it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, his wife or children, his brothers or sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he's got this terrible, the author, Kyle, has got this terrible, terrible line. You're, what, he's, what it means is you're so committed, top of page 65, you're so committed to him that by comparison, you hate everybody else. That is not what love does. That is not what love does. When you have a, you know, you've got a, 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 a yourself and your spouse and you have a baby and you think, you know, there's, there's, how, how does this work? How, how do, where does the love come from for this baby? Do I take it away from my spouse? Do I take my energy away from work or do other things? The love just comes. There's more love, you know, and I had the same phenomena when I had my, went from my first child to my second child. It's like, uh, how does that work? And then there's more love. Love begets love. It doesn't diminish it. I don't hate other people. By comparison, I love them more. And that's exactly the freaking point. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. How does that work? Right? According to him, I love my labor as a neighbor and myself not too well. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Put these verses together and put them in the light of those two greatest commandments. I'm so committed to Jesus that by comparison, I hate everybody else. That's okay. I treat You, you treated your neighbor like crap. You, you treated your friend pretty badly. Your spouse, you, you kind of... That's okay, man. I love Jesus. And I love Jesus so much that I hate everybody else by comparison. <laughs> I don't think you would agree with that. Do you? Wake up! No, it, but, but it's, it's implicit within what he's saying. It's con he's, there's a contradictory notion. And what I'm seeing is the internal logic of what, what, what's 
of, of these texts should be mutually reinforcing and informing. They should not be contradictory and undercutting. But that's what he's arrived at. And he's done that because he's got, the, he's, he's got this wrong sense of where he's going. You know, it's coming back to page 21. We are not freaking talking about heaven and hell. We are talking about that simple question. Do you believe that God loves you? And then out of that question, what does that mean? How would you find out? What impact does that have on your life? It's about here and now. If somebody loves you, I mean, you know what it's like to be loved. You know what it's like to be loved. You, you, you're married. You changed your life. You made a big commitment. <laughs> you know, and that wasn't easy. But you're still there. And I don't think you're still there just because you, you know, feel obliged to not let somebody down or because you worry about what people would think if you left. I think there's an incredible value there for you. You know, it's, it's incredibly meaningful. And that for me is what it's about. You know, if, if quote unquote heaven comes out of that, and I'm not exactly sure what heaven exactly looks like other than being in the presence of God, which I can't entirely imagine, uh, or being, you know, in eternity, I can't imagine what no time means. But that's something that comes. But if there's nothing now, then why do you believe in the first place? If you're just keeping yourself from going to hell, all you're doing is saying that you're afraid of bad things happening and you'll do whatever you can to prevent them. That's not what God's about. That's not what anything in the Bible is about. Now what's so, funny to me here though is, so <laughs> earlier though, I was kind of summarizing his description of the Holy Spirit as giving us resilience. It sounds like you agree with that concept, though. So maybe yeah, that's the one part of the chapter that you would agree with. I guess I would agree with that, yeah. Providing it's not this idea of, you know, me emptying myself of me, or the Holy Spirit is just so god dang, god dang uh, wonderful that, that, that you know, uh, all those non-Christians, they've got all those problems out there, and they don't read the Bible very well. And me, I, I've got a lot less problems, and I, I read the Bible well, and I, I'm able to do all these things because the Holy Spirit empowers me. And I'm not taking away from that notion, but it's constantly in attention with sin. It's constantly in attention with the things I do, think, the dispositions I hold that sunder my relationship with myself, with others, my world, and particularly with God. And I never get away from that. So if there's a tension there, if there's resilience, it's resilience to come back from those things that, that break relationship. And I don't know what... Tell me, tell me again what he said about resilience. Page 89. Fans trying to follow without being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit become overwhelmed by life circumstances. They, they seem to be following Christ, but then when something in life goes wrong and they don't have the power to overcome, they don't have the power to overcome it. Instead... Instead of following Christ and sticking close to him in the storm, they become discouraged and keep their distance. So he's talking about you can't make it happen. You can't be with... Yeah, I'm talking about a different kind of resilience, I guess. I'm talking about a different type of initial orientation to which I'm recalled when I start. And that's the resilience. You know, hey, you know, it's not always like this. You don't have to be like this. da 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 da, -da. When I start making those decisions or when I start, you know, uh, making bad decisions or when I start 
falling outside of my normal parameters of, yeah, I need to eat well, I need to sleep well, I need to exercise well, I need to kind of be in the right frame of mind to kind of relate to people well. See, I guess the sense I get from him is, I, I don't know, like, what, what, where is he heading? Filled with power with the Holy Spirit. So that I guess I don't want to be overcome by life circumstances. But is that really what it's about? Like, I guess I'm, I'm uh, help me out, John. Am I, am I, am I totally losing the point? Like, I just don't. I don't, I don't know. Understand. I think I think there's just this. I was kind of flipping pages as you were talking. I think there's just, and this is very familiar from my experience. That there's just kind of this undercurrent that life goes better, life is more fulfilling, life is ultimately more satisfying when God is God is there with us. And Why? so, um, Why? That, that's it. That's it right there. Okay. Why? Why? Uh, because He makes everything better. He he gives us a reason to live, and what's that reason? <laughs> See, this is uh, a heaven, just... heaven, uh, uh, pleasing him, <laughs> serving him. We're put on this earth to serve him, and um, I, I'm not saying I'm not sure how I feel about that, but th- th- I'm I'm basically channeling everything I've heard over a number of years of uh, <laughs> sermons in Christian University, etc. <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I love the channeling. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, That'd get me in trouble with some people too. <laughs> uh, no, you're not getting yourself in trouble with me, but I just was like, oh yeah. No, but that's the point. Like I'm where is he heading? And I guess that's the problem too. He's still heading back to page twenty one. Right? Because everything that you of the things that you said, what did you say, heaven? God's it all plea. it all comes back to really if I it all comes back to obligation and duty and 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 mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. we're puny humans and God is God and mm-hmm. um, our allegiance is to Him and we are to serve Him and because that's what the Bible says to do and of course if you don't do what the Bible says to do you're sinning and if you're sinning you're not in right relationship with God it's like this it's this whole circle that just kind of never ends. And it seems to me there's there's only two possibilities, right, at the end of it all. Heaven right. or hell, right or wrong, good, bad, which yes. do you want to be in? Easy yes. to answer. You know, don't yeah. have to think very long. Well, I want to go to the place where it's not very hot, and I want to do the right things. Because he wouldn't want to do the wrong things, because then, like, it's, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, see, thank you. And maybe that's maybe that's why my Christian experience is so empty, and that's why I'm... I, yeah, I think for so many years, I just kind of was like, well, this is the way it is. This is what I've been taught. This is what's in the Bible. See, I mean, if you point to this verse and read these three sentences of that verse, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's in the Bible. So get on board. And it's just, and yeah, so I just got to the point where it's just like, I can't get on board. I want to, but it's, mm-hmm. I want to, but yet, um, then is this whole notion of, of telling others, you know, the Great Commission and uh, being beat over the head with that in, in college, you know, um, that, you know, we need to tell other tell others. And, and for me, I love to explain things. I love to explain things in the absolute clearest, tightest, most concise way possible. Mm-hmm. And even if I had a whole year, I could not explain to someone why they 
should become a Christian on a like deeply emotional or experiential level. I could I could probably point to all the verses if I had to, but mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that today I would feel comfortable in the way that I put all those verses together because that's a lot of what I question. And and this book sure. is a great example of that. We put all these books you put all these verses together to prove this point and then add a few scoops of guilt and consequence if you don't follow it and you're kind of left with which is so funny because the last chapter was all about not following rules you end up with another (laughs) rule book yeah and that's to me that's what this chapter was too it was just more rules about how to follow the, the holy spirit and and here's how you have the holy spirit and here's how you don't and if you have it you'll get this and if you don't have it you'll get that which is principles, rules, guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, follow them or, you know, don't and reap the consequences. That was so well said. I, I so appreciate that about you. I really do. Like, it, what I hear you saying is, hey, I'm supposed to get on board with this good thing. And I, I go to the snack car and it's like, it doesn't not taste- only are there no snacks. It's a whole list of stuff I got to do, which, which, which doesn't make sense. And the only thing that's going to like, the and only I'll thing do I'm, it. I'll, I've tried to do a whole bunch of them. You know, yeah. I, I, in college, I did a tutoring thing in downtown Los Angeles and, and I tutored this little boy in his homework every week. And at the end I thought, you know, I want, I would sure hate for him not to go to heaven. So, you know, I asked him if he wanted to become a Christian and I gave him a Bible and he was like, yeah, sure. And, but it was like, so it was so empty. It was so, I remember like leaving his little apartment that night, just thinking, okay, I should just be like feeling so good here. I just like mm. led someone to Jesus. And yet I don't feel any different or changed or anything. And yeah. he doesn't either. And, but he, yeah. he's a Christian now. I mean, he's going to heaven. Like, but yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I mean, the whole, that it, it, it it seems empty, and I don't think you're being callous or no, no, no. And I'm, yeah, and 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 let me qualify that by saying that that for others that have done that with other people, I'm not discounting that at all. I'm purely, I'm just speaking solely from my experience and saying this is what happened for me, and a result of what's happened for me, I'm very wary, skeptical, cynical of of how this all makes any sense in a way that again. That I could, like, so I work in technology. I can explain to you how all kinds of different technologies work and why one technology is better than another. I don't feel like I can do that with Christianity, and I feel like I should be able to. See, what I hear you saying is you've got some a minimal set of standards. Like when you say it's empty, I mean, who the hell wants to be part of something, believe in something, embrace something that's empty? Why? Who would? Nobody would. And I think that those minimum set of standards you have are bang on. And I think if more people had those, our churches might be emptier, but they would probably be better. And maybe there would be other ways for people to be involved with and investigating their beliefs that it might actually change change our world. And I think many people are just too too scared. But but, but you know when you, it was funny because when I was asking you. Like literally, I was like, I was, I was asking you in the sense of, of like, hey John, what am I missing here? What, what else has this guy said? And and the reality is, I don't really get much from what he said, other than page twenty one. You know, you've got one kicker, of a bonus coming to you, 
if you can follow through on all this stuff. But it's not about that. It's not about a kicker of a bonus. Like when you are in a love relationship with someone, the relationship is its own reward. That person is your reward. You're not looking to get something from them or through them or outside of them. But in a sense, they are your reward and you are your reward. Because when you're in love with somebody, just like any relationship, they bring out parts of who you are. One of the things we really love about the people that we love is that they enable us to be the us, that, the, the self that we most want to be and how much more so with God. Yeah, I guess I was thinking they also bring out a lot of the bad parts too. Well, they can, you know. <laughs> the parts we need to work on. <laughs> they can. Well, yeah, they do. And maybe maybe it's that way with, with God too. But I think there's always that sense with God. I think the difference is you never hopefully – you know, I would say that when I feel really kind of whacked with something, when, when, when I, you know, you have those moments, maybe hopefully we don't have them too often. You know, there's that uh, great story in the Old Testament with David uh, and uh, uh, Nathan, uh, the prophet. And uh, David has just taken Bathsheba, right? And he's killed Uriah. He's had him dead. And, and he... Uh, he approaches David with this story, and he, he doesn't want to go to David. He doesn't want to talk to David. He's like, David's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's not going to listen to me because he's just killed Uriah for this woman. He wants this woman so badly he's, going to, he's killed uh, her husband. But he goes and he tells a story about, you know, David having been a shepherd. He tells a story about the shepherd who has one sheep, and the man who had many came and, uh, you know, did him in and, and took, the, took the sheep, the one sheep. And, and David, David, you know, right away, his response was, that man should die. And Nathan says, that man is you. Here's what's happened. You know, and so he gets it. So, but even when, even when we have those types of moments with God, where, where God is saying, hey, you know, that person's you. I think the difference is that although, yes, my bad parts are sort of there and they're exposed, that there's constantly this idea of, and I love you. And I love you. You know, there's always this, uh, as Brendan Manning likes to say, you know, his favorite verse in uh, the New Testament uh, being, uh, I guess, was it Luke 15, 20, he's talking about the parable of the, the story of the uh, prodigal son. And, and Luke 15, verse 20 is where, where the, the father catches sight of the son on the way back. And he just runs to him. And I think that's constantly, that's the difference that I experience. And that's, that's what, I think that's what makes it work, right? Without that, if it's, if it's, if it's critic, if criticism will come before um, acceptance, if God will criticize first and accept later, then we're in a no-win situation. I think with God, the acceptance is always, always there first. That's God interesting. Always. See, I would, I would. Always desires me first. Huh. See, and getting back to our conversation one or two times ago about the throne and God yeah. looking at our lives and judging us and letting us in or not. Well, I think he always kind of lets us in, but it depends on how many rewards and jewels you'll get in your crown and all that. Uh, I would think, yeah, see, my my orientation is the opposite of what you just said. He, he 
Well, I guess he loves us, but yeah, I don't know. It's this, it's this mixed up notion. I guess I need to think more about. Well, I, maybe it's not mixed up, but you, I think it's, I think it's unproductive and ultimately unlivable. If you have a notion of God, like if anyone holds that kind of view of God, I think that that person's ability to interact positively with that God is going to be completely down to, as you said earlier, you talked about duty and the will and effort. You know, can you, can you make the grade? But, but, you know, love isn't about making the grade. I mean, my kids piss me off sometimes, but I still love them. I mean, they're going to, they're going to piss me off lots and I don't love them less or I don't, you know, like I, and when I, when I respond poorly, when I let what they do impact how I respond to them, I feel terrible. Not because I've done something wrong, but because I love them. It's wrong because I love them. You know, and it's it's not a right way of being, but more so it's that I like that. I wanna I wanna remend I wanna re-knit that relationship. You know, and, and, and so when I respond, I want my response to be that which can best and most productively put that relationship back on the right track. But yeah, I think if, if we have a, if, if, if Christians have a notion of God where, what, how did you say it again? The whole part about God and love, say that, say that part again. Uh, well, you were talking about that, that it's, it was acceptance. It was acceptance and then love. And you were saying, no, it's, it's love comes first and the acceptance comes after. Well, uh, acceptance and, and, and criticism, but, and then, or love and criticism, yeah. But, but when I said, what did you say? You said, I guess God loves me or something like that. I can't like, remember. The, you, I don't know. There wasn't this, like, I guess the, my comment wasn't to sort of look badly at what you were saying. But no, I don't that, take it that way. Okay. Is that it's, there's, there's no guessing about it. You know, there is no guessing in love. You know, it's, uh, I think there's only, you know, being there and being in it and you are, you know, you're swallowed up by it. doesn't mean you can't think or make choices, but that, um, that orientation has to be the primary one. And I think in so many churches, one of the things I've, I haven't, I would, I don't do it too much because it just seems like it would be so hurtful to people is to ask them, you know, well, why do you actually believe? Why are you actually a Christian? What, 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 what is it about this? You know, and I think so many people are going to give you a Kyle Eidelman page 21 answer because you're going to heaven. No, no, but why? So you believe so that you're going to get something. But that's not about believing. That's about what you want. Well, I think some would say, true that they believe it's true. Why? Because the Bible says it's true. Well, then, aren't we in the same situation with the Quran and with the other holy writings from Buddhism or yeah, but those, those, Hinduism? Those are, I'm being so, sort of sarcastic, but no, what the response would be, well, those are, those are not divinely inspired from God. And how do, you, know, how do we know that? Well, we have all the historical record for the Bible and... Um, well, they're historical too, I think. They, they date, some of them date back prior to the Bible. I guess what I'm going for is, you know, on the one hand, in terms of the notion of certainty, I don't have certainty. But 
you know, I'm willing to stake my life on Christianity because I've fallen in love. I don't want to give up this love relationship. It changes, it changes me. It, it, it makes me into the me I most want to be. It, it, you know, the, the wonder and the joy and the peace that comes out of that when I'm rightly relating to God are phenomenal. Why, why would I want to, why would I want to give that up? Why would I not fight for that fight in the, in a number of senses? I don't simply mean sort of like physically or anything like that, but why would I not want to adhere to that? And when someone asks me why it's true, I tell them because I, I fall in love and that being loved, being deeply loved by someone that I love deeply in return is one of the truest things for me that, that there is. It's like being with my kids or, you know, being in that love relationship that, that is right and true. Say more and, about certainty. Well, I mean, I'm trying to get away from this, the kind of, you know, modernist, um, notion following, you know, out of guys like Descartes and Thomas and, and John Locke, et cetera, that, that we can have this kind of certain knowledge, like again, that it all comes down to truth. That it all comes down to, so in Christian terms, that it all comes down to my Bible and me reading my Bible and the Bible says this and blah, 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 blah. The Bible says God is love. Great. So you understand that. Knowing about God, God's love, is not the same as being loved by and loving God. Being loved by God and loving God in return. Those are two very different things. Yeah, those often get lumped together. That's that's. <clears throat> well, they do, and there's no. That's that's what I said. That's what I was meaning before about not talking to Christians about some of this. You know, why do you love God? Because God loves me. What does that mean? How do you experience that? Now I feel good when I come to church and I sing songs, or you know, when I give to other people, I feel good. Okay, but is that just you feeling good because you like the music, and you feeling good because it's, you know, it's, it's positive to see change in other people? Like, where does God particularly fit into all of that? How is that particularly about God? And uh, I don't find that there's much content there. You know, so we often want to be certain about something so that we've got something to lay hold of. Because when it comes to the experiential part, I think at a many level, for many people, it's not cutting it. If you had to just sit there and, and be there, and I'm not saying, you know, we want to sort of strip away the Bible and just kind of have this, uh, very open-ended notion of spirituality and out of that we have this this idea of the divine and and so somebody says oh yeah well the divine could be buddha the divine could be jesus blah 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 we we do get into kind of some very big problems if we don't have some of this this concept of truth which is related to knowledge and rationality but if that's all we have then we don't have a relationship with god we don't have what the bible is actually talking about we just have the words that the Bible is mentioning. And those words are not a substitute for the relationship and the reality. Because God is not something to be talked about. Christianity is not a historical religion. It is a current, ongoing religion. And it is about not about ideas uh, and, and understanding ideas. It is about entities and relating to entities. Yeah, so I hear what I hear there is knowledge versus experience. And, yeah. and I would... Some of this, I think, is probably temperament and probably other factors as well, but that's helpful to think about. Because, yeah, I think 
I have a tremendous amount of knowledge about who God is or who he's supposed to be, but ah. very little experience. And oh. that experience thing, yeah, I keep coming back to it. I like that distinction, who God is versus who God's supposed to be. Because, you know, yeah, you, I didn't you read really... the text. Sure, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, well, if yeah, if you're reading the Bible, I know who God's supposed to be. I know, I, like, I've got some good ideas, like, from the Bible about the identity of this God. Or what I've been taught based on people that have read the Bible and have come to their own conclusions, like this book. Right, right. But again, it's that first. It's that first-hand element that's missing, um, which is ironic because some people have encouraged me. You know, stop reading these books and commentaries. Uh, you know, go to the Bible and figure it out for yourself. Um, which I think, I think there is something to that. And and so what's I guess where I was going with that is so in in my process of figuring it out myself it's like okay well I'm kind of going to get rid of church for a while too because church isn't helping me. church is is helpful to me as these books mm-hmm. um, but but then they're not but I think some people aren't comfortable with that either because I'm forsaking the gathering with other believers and any number of bad sinful things could happen to me because I'm not surrounding myself with Christians every week. I could, you know, get off track or deceive mm-hmm. myself or any number of things. So, Well, I really liked your last comment. I don't, can, I, uh, can I be blasphemous? Um, I think we've already been, so what do we have to lose? No, <laughs> no I'm kidding. Go ahead. Right, I'll be more blasphemous. Um, that idea of going to the Bible and figuring it out, I think sometimes the Bible gets in the way. Well, no, yeah, I think that's Thoroughly true too. No, it's true. And in fact, I was encouraged by one person, or a couple of people actually, to just stop reading the Bible. Just like stop trying so hard. Just, just mm-hmm. be. Just take it. The, the The Bible has become so unhelpful and has been so um, connected to spinning your wheels and getting nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. take a mm-hmm. break from it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but particularly also, I think it can get in the way of people who who think they've got God, and really what they've got is, you know, that they know the Bible really well. Mm-hmm. They haven't they haven't got a clue who God is, you know. And and I guess this is maybe these are the people that 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 Kyle's aiming at. But the problem, so I might agree with him about yeah, if this is what a fan is, if this is a fan, fan knows their Bible really well, they've got no relationship with God really great but the solution you're offering is not a relationship with god you right it's not right no so, and that's what I, and that's what i keep hearing in the book which i think i was meaning to tie into my last point and a loss but which is i feel like this book is he wouldn't say it this way he probably totally disagree but it, it feels like try harder here's here are all the things you need to do or should be doing and when you do them then you'll be on the right path. Yeah. I think the only uh, energy source he's going to find, I think the only energy source you can find that, that that enables the Christian life to work well is love. It can't be divorced from truth. It has to be corrected by truth. 
The truth also is corrected by love. So until he, that for me, I guess is the big one, you know, and I, and we talked about that the last time and maybe the time before that, it's trying to find love in this book and how love actually plays out. And earlier I'd mentioned, you know, I don't know why he does as a minister, what he does. Why do you, why are you a minister as opposed to a mechanic? Hopefully because you've had some kind of encounter with God that's changed your life. You think it's true, but in your experience, it's been transformative, powerful, inspiring, um, etc. I'm not really hearing that. If it were my book, so I guess you asked me too how I'd rewrite the chapter. <laughs> Given that being spirit-filled, I think, or the Holy Spirit's role is to renew um, all those relationships that fail and to remind me when I'm really down and when I've really screwed things up, that you know what? No, 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 no. This is not who you are, right? You are far more than this. Um, I would rewrite the, the chapter from the perspective of love. That's what I would do. I would not exclude truth, but I would rewrite it from a perspective more about love than about letting go of me. Because God's not, God's not letting go of me. God's seeking more and more and more to embrace me. Why am I, why am I letting go of me? I don't have to let go of me to uh, embrace God. Just like I don't have to, you know, take love away from my spouse when I have my first child or take love away from the two of them when I have my next child, right? It just all continues and grows, et cetera, et cetera. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 18. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.